Micah chapter 5. I just want to do a couple of verses out of here. There's so many to draw from. But three things tonight to, to, to point out. Three things. The humility of Christ. The sovereignty of Christ. And the shepherd heart of Jesus Christ. These things come together and mingle together in a spectacular and glorious way. And uh, I, I believe we see these three things in these verses. So let me just begin with verse 2a, and I call this significantly insignificant. Think about the town of Bethlehem, okay? It is significantly insignificant, and it's chosen for a reason. Listen to how the prophet all of those years before Jesus comes, says these things through the Spirit, stirring in his heart to write these words. He says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. And just pause there and consider what, what he's saying. O Bethlehem Ephrathah. Bethlehem means uh, house of bread. Uh, that's the name of the, uh, the word. And uh, Ephrathah is a, a region um, in, in, in the area. So uh, if you were an Ephrath or Ephrathite, uh, you were from the area or region of Bethlehem. And uh, Micah says, You, O Bethlehem, the word O is not throwaway there. O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. Now, if you study in the Old Testament, you come to this place in Joshua chapter 15 where you read a list of 115 cities that are recognized. These are, these are cities and towns in Judah. And Joshua's list does not include Bethlehem. Why? Well, because it was so small. Here's how we think of this. Um, who here lives in Custer? Okay. Hey, I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying... When you pull up a weather map, how often do you see Custer on there? It's, it's not common, right? It's, it's in our area, but it's not big enough to be named among the cities, as it were, of Whatcom County or Bellingham, Greater Bellingham. So it, it's still a very valid place to live. We love it out there, right? Probably a little icy. Some trees fell down recently. But how many stoplights do you have, Right? Maybe a few, I don't know. There's a handful of stoplights. I grew up in a town that there was no stoplight. That we were so excited when we had one fast food restaurant come in and it wasn't McDonald's, it was local. So I can feel this a little bit. He says, Bethlehem, you are insignificant a town. And isn't it just like God to say, that's where it's going to happen? It's that kind of place where a king, my king, my son, will be born there. Significantly insignificant. Small town home of poor farmers and shepherds. However, it's not without its history. Think of this. This is the, the small little rural country town where Jacob buried Rebekah, his dearly beloved. It's the town where Ruth gleaned in the fields of Boaz. This is a very significant location. It is also the town where Samuel anointed the least likely of the sons. Remember this? David's dad brings seven sons and presents them to Samuel. And Samuel goes down one by one, all the way down. And 
they're impressive. He, Samuel's thinking, well, surely this is the one, right? An impressive man. No, that's not the one. All the way down to seven. Finally, he goes and he says to Jesse, are these all of your sons? And Jesse's like, well, I got David. He's a shepherd. He's the eighth, and he's off in the hills. And he says, I will not leave. We will not sit until you bring David here. And sure enough, the shepherd was chosen by God. Unlikely. Significantly insignificant. Why does God do these things? Think of the statements of humility in the Christmas story. Joseph and Mary. Who is Joseph? He's a poor man. A poor man. A carpenter. He, he's not a significant man. He's not uh, renowned or known, yet he is chosen by God. Mary, a young, poor woman. Teenager, really. Chosen by God. You have, God, has, uh, God has found favor with you. It is, it is His grace that has overshadowed you. You will be the mother of the Messiah. The shepherd's cave, think of the 90 miles they tra- traveled. Joseph uh, was, was from Bethlehem, right? He tracked in the line of, of Judah, so did Mary. A uh, uh, line of David, so did Mary. But, but they lived in Nazareth, even a more no-account town, right? So how do you get them down to have Jesus in Bethlehem? Well, you have a, a decree by Caesar Augustus given. An urgency such that you can't have that baby in Nazareth. She has to be in Bethlehem, 90 miles, and a donkey. They get there, there's no room in the inn. Do you realize the King of Kings is about to be born? No room? Are you even kidding me? Isn't that just like our God? That our Savior, the greatest birth ever to take place on the face of this earth, would take place in a shepherd's cave with smoke rising from a campfire, most likely, dirt and dung all around, animals staying warm, angels send out an invitation. Now, what's amazing is the Herodian was really nearby Bethlehem. Bethlehem is in the shadow of the Herodian where where a king who thought highly of himself resided. And yet, here he is, and just under the radar, basically no one noticed that night that the king was born, the king of all kings. The angels rejoiced, however, and they invited the least likely to come and worship. They invited who? Shepherds. Do you see these purposeful statements of humility purposeful statements that show how the Lord loves to work in unexpected ways. This is, this is God communicating. I am not impressed with the hands of men. I am not seeking to try to build my kingdom off of man. I do things my way. Born a child and yet a king, a mission of atonement. He is given this mission. You read it in Philippians 2, right? This, this mission of humility to come down, to take upon human flesh, to be born in the likeness of men, and then, and then to go to the cross and experience the most humiliating death possible. A statement of humility. Now there is exaltation, absolutely. Therefore God also highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess what? What? 
that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is Lord. So, why does God work this way? We have a glimpse of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God chose, Christian, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why did he do it this way? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. No innkeeper that night could say, well, Jesus was born in my, in my inn, right? No family, no connection, no, no, no political broker could, could boast. This is how he works. This is how he saves. No one can stand and say before God, I know that, that well, I've got inside knowledge. I know why you chose me. Because of me. You saw how awesome I am, and that's why you saved me, right? Or you saw how awesome I would be, and that's why you saved me. No boast. No boast. What is that? That's grace. That's grace. Grace eliminates boast. We are saved by grace through faith in a humble Messiah. It is his humility that is also his glory. It calls us into the same as we follow with our lives. Not only humility, but then the second half of verse 2, unrivaled sovereignty. Jesus has no rivals. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, for God, for the Father, one who is to be a ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And if you've been with us in the study of John, you've got to have that echo in your mind. Before Abraham was, I am, Jesus says. So much happening in this little verse. A ruler ordained, sent, a ruler for God, a ruler who will be ruler in Israel. Huh. God's appointed sovereign. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no king that comes close to this king. Think of what we say. But sometimes we say this and we forget what we mean. Jesus is the king of kings. Joe Biden, our president, he is not the king. He is under Jesus Christ, who is the king. There is no political leader. There is no despot. There is no ruler, no emperor, no sovereign on this earth or ever has been that holds a candle to the sovereign authority of your king, Christian. He's the unrivaled, unquestioned king of kings. That's the way it's always been. And he arrives like this. What an amazing mingling together of realities. Born a child and yet a king. Not a prince. Born a king. The king of all kings. Listen to the story in Luke 1. To Mary, the angel says, Behold, 
You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him a throne, the throne of his father David. Okay, now we're, we're connecting with this who's coming forth is from of old. Here's the connection point. He will have the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Prophesied of old, his coming forth is from of old. It goes farther, though, than David, doesn't it? We know, we saw this in John 8, right? We, we know how far back it goes. In fact, if you go to the book of Revelation, you get a glimpse here in Revelation 13, verse 8, the second half of it, when you read that the book of the life of the Lamb, by the way, who was slain? That's the name of this book. The, the book was penned, it was written, filled with names of God's elect. When? Before the foundation of the world. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In verse 14 and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have beheld His glory. Glory as of one from the Father, full of grace and truth. His coming forth is from of old, my friends. The fulfillment of prophecy that took place that night, that amazing night, is incredible. Humility, absolute sovereignty, unquestioned authority that come together. But look at this last piece. I'm calling this majestic shepherding. Majestic shepherding. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. That is the function of his rule, his reign. It's a shepherding rule. And they his sheep, his flock, they will dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. This is bigger than just Israel, isn't it now? It's reaching to the ends of the earth, some from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And he shall be their peace. I love that. He, the shepherd, shall be their peace. The humble, sovereign shepherd. Now, we struggle with this. Sometimes we don't, we don't know what it's like to have a king, right? We're Americans, right? We serve no sovereign here. Wasn't the flag we, we waved that when we declared our independence? We do what we do. Now, as a Christian, however, that changes. We do have a king. He is the unquestioned king. He is in charge, He's also a shepherd. This is wonderful for us. So often, history has shown that our inclination to be concerned when power is consolidated is fitting. It's right. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts? Absolutely. I feel like we should maybe remind some folks of that in this nation. Power and corruption... 
They're a fearful reality. We have seen history play out over and over. When it's consolidated, it goes south. It sours. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin. Now, imagine if one had all power but did not have sin. If he was infinite in power and at the same time humble and a shepherd. Imagine that. Friends, that is our Savior. He is your King. He's a shepherd king. Infinite power coming together with perfect love. Infinite power mingling together with providential protection. Dwell secure. Infinite power leading to passionate praise. He will be great to the ends of the earth. We celebrate this king tonight. The kingdom of the shepherd king is a kingdom where his sheep delight to submit to him. It is a joyful submission. We bend our knee. We acknowledge him. We love him. We see him. Everything he does is right and good and true. He's the king of kings. And this is how he came. Isn't that just like God? And he shall be their peace. I don't know where you might find yourself tonight, but if you came in those doors tonight and you are looking for peace, you're not going to find it by checking the news. It's just not there. You can't find it by checking your 401k. Increasingly, that's also just not there. How are you going to find peace in this mess of a world we find ourselves in? Where are you going to look? What are you going to do? The answer is, run to Jesus, the King, the Shepherd King. He is the only peace that we can find in this world and the next. And if we do not run to Him, we will not know peace. We won't experience it. We can have peace with God rather than live at, at odds with Him, at war with Him because of our sins. It's only in Jesus we can have peace. Jesus did the work that is necessary to bring sinners like all of us here in this room into a relationship with God in such a way that, that our sin is addressed. We're sinners. We're rebels. We're part of the problem. We're not just in a broken world. We're messed up too. We need help. We need rescue. We need salvation. We need a king on the throne of our hearts. So our response tonight would encourage you, listen to the words of this song. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Why do we say is? Well, because he has come. That's true. But he's coming again. He's coming again. That's the point. He is come. He's coming how are we going to receive him? Let earth receive her king. He is the king. He is the unquestioned king. He is coming. Is he your king? Are you ready to receive him? Are you going to celebrate at his arrival? Or will you stand in dread because of your sin and face a judge who won't come back like this? His second coming says he comes on a war horse with a sword drawn. 
and His glory revealed. On His leg reads, King of kings and Lord of lords, and He will smite the nations of rebels and sinners, all except those who love Him as Lord and Savior and King. So the only call for all of us in this room tonight as Christians is this. Believe, receive, and bow. Bow before the King of Kings. We don't, we don't know what this is like. We don't live in a, in a kingdom. We don't have a king. But friends, we do have a king. We do have a king. He is the king that every knee will bow before someday, whether willingly or not. Tonight is the night. Trust Him as Savior and Lord. Turn from your sin and run to Him. And receive the gift that He has given. The gift of forgiveness and life and atonement. And freedom from sin. A clear conscience. Reconciliation with God the Father. The Holy Spirit indwelling you. The seal of eternity. Receive the joy of bowing and submitting to this King. And then join in worship as we sing and make much of Him the rest of our lives and forever. That's our purpose. That's why we gather here. That's why this building is here. That's why we call ourselves Good Shepherd Bible Church. Let's pray. O King of kings and Lord of lords, Your authority is unquestioned. Your rule and reign is real, and it's here tonight. It's in hearts and lives. Oh God, we thank you for our King. We pray for any who would be here tonight who have yet to trust Him, to to turn from their sins and to bow before Him, to acknowledge that they need a Savior and to bend their knee before this King. I pray that you would work in stirring hearts, bring salvation And life and light and joy and peace, oh God, bring peace to troubled hearts. Jesus, we adore you, we worship you, and we make much of you now. We we celebrate your birth and we will celebrate your accomplishments forever. We delight to do so with singing and instruments and song. We, We love to do so together and so we're here tonight because you're worthy. And we want to sing your praise. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.